we're going to bring one of our missionary partners up in just a few moments. And um, you're um, certainly not here this morning to, to hear me, uh, but um, <clears throat> Pastor Bill did ask if I just could very briefly introduce, uh, which struck me as soon as I heard briefly, I thought, oh. but I'm going to try um, to introduce just um, the mission's theme. And uh, I, I, I was reminded of um, a missions conference that I was participating in a number of years ago. And it was Sunday morning. It was a larger, large church. And Sunday morning, the, the main sermon time was given to another brother who was really a choice servant of the Lord and had a really good ministry. But he began by uh, reading Matthew 28, 18 to 20, uh, that portion that we know as the Great Commission. Many of you, of course, are familiar with it. Uh, all authority has been given to me. Uh, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And this brother then indicated that this was the beginning of world missions. And in my mind, I, I wanted to just jump up and say, uh, no. That's not right. Uh, the beginning of world missions is found not in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, but is found in the beginning. Um, most uh, Bible scholars would believe that the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis serves as a general prologue to the Bible, and that God begins to intervene into history specifically through a choice servant named Abram in Genesis chapter 12. We came to know him as Abraham. And in the very beginning of chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abram that through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And Abram began to follow the Lord Yahweh. And we read about midway through that chapter that Abram established an altar between the towns of Ai and Bethel. And there he erected an altar. And our Bible translations say there he called upon the name of the Lord. One Hebrew uh, scholar indicates that that word called is, is more like an invoking the name of the Lord. Uh, the idea is to declare or to proclaim. Uh, Martin Luther, in his German translation of the Old Testament, translated that there Abram preached in the name of the Lord between the, the towns of, of Ai and Bethel. And so there we see that sense of world missions. And that was the heart of God from the beginning. And one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so uh, glad to be a part of this church family is the emphasis that we have placed on missions. As you know, it has been our tradition every December to dedicate uh, the entirety of the month's offering to uh, world missions. 
And uh, I am just thrilled to share with you that very recently, 50%, 50% of our budget went to world missions. And last week, we were, we were pre- yeah, clap. I, that's okay. That's, that's a marvelous, that's a marvelous thing. Last week, we were privileged to hear our, our brother Michael, uh, a man from uh, Egypt who is now serving the Lord and church planting in Leipzig, Germany. And this morning, we're privileged to hear another part of our missions partnership. Vladja and his family are here with us. Vladja, would you stand and then um, make your way forward? And Elishka, would you please stand? And, and the uh, two of, I think, Two of the three children? No, just Sarah. Two of the other children are in um, the children's program. So Lodge is going to come. I'm going to sit in the padded chair. Okay. Since I am old man. I first met Vladja in um, 1989. And believe it or not, um, I was taller than Vladja at that time. So through the years, uh, Bonnie and I have seen Vladja grow in the, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And uh, it has just been a joy to get to know you. Welcome, brother. So uh, thank you. Sit down and be comfortable, although yes. don't go to sleep on us. Um, so it's a, it's a joy to have you as part of our church family. And uh, why don't you begin just by sharing a little bit about yourself. Uh, you shared a little bit in the uh, Sunday school hour prior uh, to, to okay. our service. Uh, share a little bit about how you came to know the Lord. Thank you. It's great to be here with you today. And uh, we are always so happy to be able to come back to the southern Jersey. That's like a second home to us. So... Uh, we are. We flew in last week from the Czech Republic, and that is where we have been living most of our lives, although it used to be a different country back then. Uh, you, some of you still may remember it as Czechoslovakia. And then it broke into Czech Republic, Slovakia, a long time ago. <clears throat> and uh, we, uh, as husband and wife, Elishka and myself, come from two totally different backgrounds. She is much more typical. Uh, She is coming from a non-Christian family where she was brought up to be a good person. Her father would go uh, to the Catholic Church occasionally, but it was just a religious thing to do. Uh, While I am from a Christian family, That was not typical during the communist times to have Christian parents. And I actually have both my uh, grandparents on both sides were Christians as well. So that's kind of an anomaly. Uh, And I came to Christ when I was 12 at an illegal underground youth camp during communism. So that's, uh, if you can imagine an illegal youth camp, it's like, you know, a bunch of teenagers and you just tell them, shh, be quiet. Almost like that, not quite. And my wife came to Christ uh, through a friend in high school after the fall of communism who invited her to an English camp. And that's a ministry that's very 
very big all throughout the Czech Republic, many different churches like your church are sending teams over for English camps where kids learn English and they hear about Christ. So that is where she heard the gospel for the first time. And while Vladja was um, theologically educated here in the States, it has always been his passion to return to the Czech Republic. And the Lord gave him a tremendous burden to do two things, uh, to church plant, but then also to develop a uh, solid biblical theological seminary where the leaders could be trained for the next generation, as well as existing pastors who either did not have any theological training or basically had a little bit of a of a sort of a theological hodgepodge. And so, um, Vladja, if you could share a little bit about the early days of um, the seminary that you began, and then um, and then following that, the church plant and how challenging that was and how many years before mm. you actually made inroads into people's hearts. Uh, when we say seminary in our country uh, or in Europe in general, we mean a Bible school, not necessarily a master level school like what you have in the States. So we were trying to establish a small Bible school to help people grow in the knowledge of the scriptures so that they can fall in love with Christ even more. Because that is how you get to know Christ, when you know the Word of God. So we moved back home after graduating from Southeastern Seminary in North Carolina in 07 and moved into a town. And specifically, the Lord gave us a place in that town. We were looking for a town that has no Bible-believing church. And that's not hard to find. Uh, once, we, once the church was established in our town, we became the one Bible-teaching church in an area where you can go 10 kilometers or don't have me switch to miles. I don't know how. Uh, so, you know, 6.81 miles. No, I don't know. Uh, uh, there's a town of 10,000 people, no Bible-believing church. You go... Another direction, 25 minutes, there's a, uh, about 30,000 population town, no Bible-believing church. Another direction, you have two 8,000 population towns, no Bible-believing church. So the closest Bible-believing church to us currently is, uh, I don't know, oh, okay, okay, we have one about 40 minutes away. Uh, so that's, that's the closest to us now. Uh, so we started our work as a, at, at the Bible school, started teaching, uh, which then grew into more of a kind of semi-distance learning program where almost 400 people have gone through the program so far. But we also wanted to plan the church. What happened, though, is we kept meeting, we kept talking to people, sharing the gospel, and for the first eight years, nobody came to Christ. So uh, eight years seems like a long time, but it's really not that bad. Uh, you know, when, when you have people like Jeremiah preaching for about 60 years and only one person uh, trusted the message, 
and not even a Jew. So for us, that eight years was okay. But then the first person came to Christ. And after that, and the man was in his 40s. Then another person came to Christ, and it was another man in his 40s. We have never seen it before. Usually it was ladies first coming. This was men in their 30s and 40s. And that's how the church started growing. Now we're meeting with about 40 people on, on a regular Sunday. So that's a great, great blessing and praise. Vladja, last week Michael shared a few stories of, of people. And it, it seems that for a church family like ours, um, our hearts are, are truly moved by people's stories. Uh, the last time that I was in the Czech Republic, um, I met a man named Martin. And you shared a little bit about his story, which uh, was quite remarkable and uh, heartwarming in the Lord. I'm wondering if you could um, share a little bit about Martin and his story. Well, uh, this is about five years ago uh, when our, for our church service, which is Sunday afternoon, at this very time our church is meeting because we are six hours ahead. So uh, we had a lady with a teenage son and a small little one-year-old came, and we didn't know them. Uh, started talking to them after church. We found out that the teenage son being from Slovakia originally, that's where he came to Christ through a camp ministry, and they wanted to find a church. So they started coming, and they started coming regularly. <clears throat> the mom got saved very early on, uh, and they kept coming, and they kept sharing their prayer request for the father, for the husband, because he started to be quite quite against this whole thing. He's a typical Czech man, typical Czech materialist, uh, building everything on what you can, what money you can make, how, you, how fast you can pay for your house, how well you can establish your family and your community with what you do. He's a very well-known musician uh, in all over Czech Republic and internationally. He's been, he's a saxophone player and he he played with lots of well-known musicians uh, throughout the years. And the, the thoughts that were coming back uh, from the family were, well, you know, he likes this church less and less because he feels like you are taking away his family. He feels like he's losing his family because of this religious nonsense. So we kept praying, we kept praying for him, but he would not be willing to come to the church. He would go to something extra, like outside the church when we would do a meeting somewhere. He, he might sit on the side, just kind of frowning and, and not being happy. So we tried, you know, I played the saxophone. I tried the saxophone route. They have an RV and travel quite a lot. We have a guy in the church that has an RV, and so we tried the RV route. That didn't work. So, you know, you try to get close to him somehow, and all of a sudden, things started to change a little bit, and the moment was when he realized about a year into this whole situation that he is not losing his family, but he is all of a sudden having a better family life. 
that his wife is changing. The teenage son is changing. That yes, they are spending a lot of time at the church, but he's having a better life. So he started exploring, but he was still against Christianity. So he started coming to me with questions. I don't know if you've seen the movie God's Not Dead, one of the early ones, where the Chinese young man comes to the pastor and says, I have a few questions. He's like, okay, go ahead and ask. And he pulls out these 153 questions. He's like, okay, so 153. That's what it looked like with Martin, but he didn't bring them all at the same time. He would come every week, at least once, usually twice, for a coffee with some objection to Christianity. And later on, objection to a specific Bible text or biblical text or, or an idea. I've never drank so much coffee in my life. I don't normally drink coffee, but I drank it with him, just to be nice. Uh, and we went through all these questions and... Then he said, well, you have, you have an answer for everything. How is that possible? So I told him, don't worry, you are not original. Everybody asks the same questions. Uh, and then he said, you know what? I'm beginning to believe everything that my wife says. I believe everything you say now. This is almost a year into it. And I told him, Martin, that's not enough. It's not enough to believe me, what I'm saying. You need to turn to Christ and believe him. And eventually, the, the moment where it all changed was uh, he just you know, kept meeting with me. No more questions. Yeah, I believe you everything. Yeah, I, I believe all that. It's, it's, it's great. You're Jesus, I, I really believe all that. I just don't really have a relationship with him. How, do, how does that happen? What do I need to do? How much is it going to cost me? So I told him, you know, you need to count the cost, really. Because, uh, you know, just go home make a list. It was an illustration. I didn't mean for him to do it. Make a list, pros and cons, just, you know, what the Lord wants from you and what you can keep for yourself. He came next time, and I totally forgot about that question or that illustration that I used. And he said, so I wrote the list. I'm like, what list? What are you talking about? He said, well, the list, you know, with what I need to give to him and what I can keep. And what came out of it is he wants everything. So, that's it. <laughs> well, and I had the, the privilege of meeting Martin. Every opportunity that, that there was a church for Bible study, for fellowship, uh, for eating, Mar Martin was there. And he just had a big smile, just constantly just had a, a smile on his face. One of the uh, opportunities that, that we had during my visit was to uh, go to another town where you were developing a ministry with a professional basketball team. And uh, Martin was um, also a part of that. I shared my testimony. And after I shared my testimony, Martin began to share his testimony saying that um, he had accomplished so much in the world of music professionally. He had reached the, the pinnacle of his craft, and yet uh, he went on to tell these young boys who were roughly in the 18 to 20 range um, how that ultimately brought no satisfaction, no happiness, uh, until he came to the point where he gave his life to Christ. So, 
So um, here he began to preach. But um, speaking of that basketball ministry, could you share with us a little bit about um, uh, that ministry with the basketball team and how that has developed? Well, it started about 10 years ago when a church from North Carolina, we asked for an English camp team, and they called me back, and the, the missions pastor at that large church, he is seven foot something, uh, he said, we don't have people for English. We can do it. basketball camp. I said, basketball camp? Uh, uh, I don't even know if anybody plays basketball in our area. It's, not a big sport. Well, I found out it's a big sport in our town, but only after uh, I had to you know, look around and find out. And we started doing basketball camps. A uh, number of young kids or teenagers were, were touched by the gospel through that ministry. But in the recent years, several of the young players came to Christ. They're on the junior national team uh, in the Czech Republic. And Several of them came to Christ, and we started this group in the town, as Steve was saying. And these people are hungry to learn the Word of God. They are bringing their friends from school, from the basketball camp, and, or basketball team, and they want to know more. We baptized two of them this past summer, uh, several of them last year, and as they are coming to Christ, this is starting to change the environment in the professional team. The owner of the professional team started coming to the meetings. And I don't know if it was at the meeting with you. Was he there? Did he share as well? Yeah, I because he shared, the owner of the team shared in one of the meetings. He all of a sudden opened up. An atheist from Slovakia never wanted to do anything with God. And he just said, I need to say something too. So we were a little afraid of what he's going to share. When you have an atheist raise their hand during Bible study, you should be a little worried. Uh, not much, just a little. Uh, and he started sharing and he said, I don't know what's happening, but our team is changing. I don't know what is happening, but I can tell you that this whole Christianity thing and talking about Jesus brought a memory from way back when I was young. I was going pro in Slovakia. I was going to go play in the U.S., uh, not the highest level, but still pretty high. But I kept having injuries. And my dad, a very strong atheist, I was an atheist. After the fourth time, I blew my knee. I sat my father down and I told him, you know, I don't know why I have this feeling, but if this happens one more time, I'll take it as a sign from God that I shouldn't play anymore, but start coaching. He said, I don't know why we use the word God. We never talked about God in my family. And I guess that's the reason why I'm here today. So you have people you have life stories that uh, were being built for 20 years for a very specific moment. He is not saved yet. He doesn't know Christ yet. But who knows how, how soon that's going to be. And speaking of, of developing stories that, that took many years, uh, one of Vlaj's hobbies 
um, was collecting old Christian books, old Christian Bibles. And uh, suddenly, God gave uh, to Vladja um, another um, mission um, passion, and that was to develop a Bible museum. And right by the, the church building is this passion that has this flame that has been fanned into a, a, a great fire now. Um, Hopefully I, not fire. Uh, no, no. That's the no, last no. thing we want at the museum. No, only, only an image, brother. Only an image. Um, suddenly, though, this, this Bible museum has become a tremendous uh, tool uh, and an opportunity to share the gospel with hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, buses come from schools all over the country to visit this museum. And it's not so much because they, they have this desire to necessarily learn more about the Bible, but from a historical and a cultural perspective. And the opportunity, well, here I'm going on and on. Why don't you share a little bit about the development of the Bible Museum and how God provided some of these uh, masterpieces for you and how it's being used to share the gospel? The museum really started as one-time exhibits in different places and eventually grew into a museum that has now grown to its final stage. We're not going, and I'm saying this in front of witnesses, we are not expanding. We're done. My wife heard it, so it's, it's done. Okay. Uh, our idea of the Bible Museum uh, is pretty much to be able to share the gospel in a way uh, where we can make Bible interesting for people. Because you have this, one of the most atheistic nations in the world, Czech Republic, who would willingly come to a Bible museum? Well, we have, at this point, we don't have a full-time worker for the museum, so we are limiting it, so we are getting about 1,800 to 2,000 people per year visit the museum. And the idea is to share the gospel as we are walking through. And we don't want to bore people with the Bible. So we have everything from the smallest Bible in the world on a microchip that is, you know, five by five millimeters, all the way to uh, printing, secret printing press room from the 16th century, the way Bibles were printed in Czech way back, to a 19th century printing press room with some beautiful American machines from the 19th century. Uh, so anybody can find their own thing there. But the idea has been to develop good educational programs that have a very clear gospel presentation. And we now, as Steve was saying, have school groups and groups of adults coming over. And we do a program, hour, hour and a half long programs for the groups where they can print a page from the Bible. They can see things. They can try things out. And at the end, they all hear the gospel. We use two paintings by Rembrandt. Uh, we have the originals, of course. Uh, no, we don't. But uh, if, if some of you would like to you know, donate towards an original of Rembrandt, we may have an original by Rembrandt. Who knows? Uh, and we share the gospel. And at the end, we offer a free New Testament and some gospel tracts. Almost everybody takes them. 
So that way, it's not my work. It's our team, and it's a team effort, but we became the most uh, active uh, Gideon camp by ourselves uh, in the whole Czech Republic because we have this great venue to, to, share, to share the word of God. So we just keep coming for boxes and boxes and boxes of Bibles. They keep asking us, what are you doing with these? Are you, are you starting your fire with it? Or you know, how, what do you do with the Bibles? So we tell people uh, at the Gideon headquarters what we do. And I guess it's not the most typical way, but uh, you know, if we had to buy Bibles, uh, I'm not sure if we could get that many. So this way we have uh, really hundreds and hundreds of people go through. And some of the most interesting moments are when we finish the tour and we're in the last room and that's where people usually start opening up because we try to build the tour around creating questions for the people. Why would anybody go as far as suffering for owning a Bible 400 years ago? Why would anybody smuggle Bibles 60 years ago into Czechoslovakia during communism? Why would people die to have a Bible? So that's really one of the one of the gospel uh, gospel witnesses uh, that that we're trying to use. Yeah, one of my one of my favorites was, uh, and this reminded me of, of course, the communist era. Um, they have in the museum a, a side panel from a car. And the panel of the driver's seat was uh, yanked open to the point where you could see where Bibles were stuffed into the side panel. And that's how, actually, Vlaj's father uh, would, would drive this car into uh, Russia and Romania and other uh, Eastern Bloc communist countries to bring Bibles into their countries in, in the language of the people. Uh, there's also um, a big round loaf of bread that's cut in half, and uh, inside the loaf of bread is a cutout area where Bibles were kept. Um, uh, if, if pastors' homes were invaded by the secret police, they would they would keep their, their small New Testament w inside this bread. And see, that's when you, you hear the word of God described as the bread of life. You see, it really is. Um, Vlaja, maybe we have uh, time for uh, one more uh, question. I know your ministry has uh, had a big part in, in assisting Ukrainian refugees. Can you share with us a little bit about to how the Lord has... Um, given you opportunities to do this. It was one day after my birthday. Uh, we are, our birthday is very close. So you're on the 20th, I'm on the 23rd of February. So day after my I'm, birthday. I'm three years, three days older. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, three days. Uh, that's when the war started on February 24th last year. And right away we thought, is this real? Is this some kind of a hoax? What is happening? But we realized it's gonna be, it's gonna be a major impact for our country because we are West enough to be wealthy enough 
for the Ukrainians. And at the same time, we are the last country from the Slavic nations, because past us there is Germany. So we knew that many refugees will be coming uh, because they can experience pretty good social system and at the same time uh, still understand a little bit of the language. Because if they go further west, it's going to be much more difficult for them. We didn't know what the government or what our town is preparing for, but we knew we have a building that we can prepare for. So we took two days, prepared as many rooms as we could. We could house uh, up to 20 people at once. And starting March 1st, refugees started coming in. Uh, and by the evening of March 1st, we had 24 people in the building. So when, where we thought we have 20 rooms, 20, 20 spots, we had more than 20 spots. Uh, eventually, it was about 60, a little over 60 people that have gone through. Some stayed for a week, some stayed for several months. Some are still living in our community. We eventually help people find places to stay, and they found jobs, they're working. But half of those people that stayed with us are back home now because the western part of uh, Ukraine was not hit at all. So it really became a ministry that, that was interesting on several levels. Helping people from a different country, we invited them to, we were able to get New Testaments in Ukrainian and some gospel books. Uh, we invited them to our church. Some of them came several times. We talked with them about the gospel. But it also opened up opportunities in our own uh, neighborhood. We have several neighbors that never said hello to us for the past 15 years. Uh, it must have looked like some kind of a you know sect moved in and we're going to be shaving people's heads and having them drink stuff or what I don't know what they thought. But we tried and, and no contact, no willingness to make a contact with us. But once we had the Ukrainians refugees, these very people started opening up. And they started coming to us. They, there was a guy, next door neighbor, like two, three houses down, that came with tears in his eyes. He's like 60, 65 years old. And he, he's like, I could, all I could find is 6,000 crowns. That's like, you know, $300. But I'll, I'll go get more from the bank. And can, can I do anything else? Can I help you? Ever since then, we've been talking with him and, and having a relationship. So... All that to say, the Lord used this crisis to help us minister to people that needed help. We didn't have any Christians, any Christians from, from Ukraine. We opened the house to anybody who knocked on the door. Uh, it opened opportunities in our neighborhood. and also op opened a new opportunity for us as a church. We were able to connect with a church in Ukraine that is doing a lot for the refugees within Ukraine. They're on the western, in the western part in Lviv. We were able to take a couple of trips there to bring some help, help out. The pastor came as well to encourage us in the Czech Republic. So the Lord is using this really difficult situation to spread his word and bring people to himself in ways that we couldn't imagine. We would never say that the Lord made this war to happen so that things would happen. But the Lord can use anything. He can use any situation. And our friend in Ukraine, the pastor in, the, in Ukraine, 
told us, you know, I, I baptized more people in the six months of war, this is some time ago, than in the previous 20 years of my ministry. So difficult situation, very hard. We're still trying to help, uh, but the Lord is using it to bring people to himself. And let's be honest, if you are building your life right here, if you get stuck on getting a better, newer car and a better, bigger house and better whatever, uh, you will start losing the focus from the eternity. Because we are here for a few years. And just as a last sentence, some of the last people, latest people that came to Christ through our ministry were men in their 80s, two of them. One died within a week, one died within three weeks of coming to Christ. The widows who didn't want to hear anything about Jesus, after these men died, started coming to church, and now they came to Christ. So you can come to Christ anytime, but you only have time now. There won't be any time after you die. Lodja, thank you so much. Um, another Czech pastor friend told me he, he didn't have a Bible chapter and verse to, to back this up, but he told me that in heaven we will all speak the Czech language. <laughs> and uh, last week, Brother Michael shared the conclusion of the service by praying in, in Arabic. So I began to ask Vladja if he would, and then he interrupted me and said, I don't pray in Arabic. <laughs> but I wonder if you could close our service in the Czech language, if you would. So this way, we would have a preview of what's ahead for us when we get to glory. And we'll distribute dictionaries afterwards. So <clears throat> let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I'm so happy that... Uh, we are here in your son's name and that I can share uh, a few words in prayer in our language. And I thank you for these wonderful people. So I just want to say first that I'm so grateful for the church here that is, uh, has been so faithful in supporting us, praying for us. Úžasný Bůh a my ti děkujeme za to, že tvoje slovo je stejné v České republice i v Severní Americe. Děkujeme za to, že Ježíš Kristus je náš Pán a Spasitel, který zemřel za naše hříchy. Děkujeme ti za to, že můžeme zažívat tohle pouzbuzení společné. A tak tě prosím, aby si žehnal tomuhle zboru. Prosím tě, aby si žehnal svoji církvi po celém světě, abychom nesli tvoje slovo po celém světě aby si byl ty vyvýšený, oslavený, aby mnozí lidé ještě přišli k tobě, k Pánu Ježíši Kristu, aby tvoje církev rostla, aby jsme se jednou mohli potkat ve tvojí slávě a být s tebou na věky a děkovat ti za to, jak jsi úžasný Bůh. Ve jménu Pána Ježíše Krista. Amen.